have you here today. We are in a series called Quick to the Point. Uh, if you have not been here, please go follow us online. Go get a free copy of last week's CD in the back. They are for free. We want to get you a part of this series because we believe that James gives the most practical outline for what living for Jesus actually looks like. He gives this most practical rundown when you look at the subjects that he tackles and then the way in which he tackles them. So in week one, we look at trials. How many know like everybody has trials? Everybody has certain seasons of life where it just seems like things go south, things are bad. We have problems out of nowhere, disaster hits, and we need to know how we deal with trials. On week two, we looked at temptations. Same thing as trials. We all deal with temptations. We all have things that we fight, struggle with, we fall into, and we get back up. And we, How do you do that? How do you win at temptation? And this week is no different. We stay on a very, very practical subject. Everybody say faith. That was okay. Let's try that one more time. Everybody say faith. That's much better. So faith, faith is one of those things in the Bible that many of us, we know is churchy, we know is, is religious or spiritual, but we don't exactly know how to define it. And we might have our own versions and our own definitions of how we define it. But today I would hopefully like to wreck that and mess that up and, 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 and make you go home and struggle with things. And that's what I really want to do because that's what James does. In his day and age, he challenges the notion of faith. Everybody say faith. faith. Now, faith is incredibly important, isn't it? Like it ought to be. It's kind of a big deal. If you ever read the Bible, it's kind of a big deal. So the Bible says stuff like this. You're saved by grace through. Yeah, yeah. It says that the just shall live by. It says that you don't walk by sight, but you walk by. Right. So you got all these scriptures. It says it is impossible to please God without. Yeah. So, yeah, you're a little late. So you'll get there. That was my last one. I can't even help you out now. So. My point is, is that the Bible talks about the subject a lot. I mean, when you look at even the, the phrase, the just shall live by. Faith. Yep. You, let's try one more time just for him. The just shall live by. Faith. I don't even think he tried that time. <laughs> That's right. We'll have, a, we'll have a class later. Anyway. The, the phrase, the just shall live by faith, is a phrase repeated four different times in four totally different books of the Bible, even. The just shall live by faith. You're just, you need to know about this thing called faith. Everybody say, but. But, y'all are really good today. Um, but what James tackles is that there's a difference between the real deal and the fake. Like the genuine and the phony. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this, this happen. I remember when I was a kid, I was in Washington, D.C. And um, there's kind of like street hustlers everywhere in Washington, D.C. At least there was when I was there. And, and they're always peddling something. They're always trying to sell something. And so they don't, they don't have Gucci. They got Poochie. <laughs> and they don't got Prada. They got Prado. And they don't got, so I bought, I bought some Oakley's. But they weren't Oakley's, then were Folkley's. <laughs> and you know that there is a difference between the real thing and the fake thing, right? It just something, something don't measure up. Something don't, it doesn't pass the smell test and it breaks real fast. And so it, it just is one of those things that we know in life. How many know there was Coke? Y'all remember this? This is old school for only people that are above a certain age. I won't even say. Remember they came out with new Coke? And then literally they're almost rioted in the streets because new coat was garbage. And so what they did was is it, I think it took four months and then they went back and then they called it what? 
classic Coke or real Coke is like the real thing. And so why? Because you need the real thing. The real thing is the best thing. It's the important thing. It's the better thing. And what James addresses here is that very idea that there is authentic faith, genuine faith, real faith, living faith. And that's the target. That's the goal that you really want. And then there's kind of knockoff faith. And he addresses that as well, because we need to have the real deal. Listen to what James says here in James chapter two. We continue. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? The word deeds is also translated work, works, or action. Can such faith save them? Now, this is what you need to know about this book of the Bible. This book of the Bible, James, here's, let me back up. The Bible is not one big book, okay? So if you ever get into a conversation and somebody's like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, what do you mean you don't believe the like, you don't believe what? You don't, you don't believe that there was a, a nation that was called Israel? Or you don't believe that... I mean, what do you not believe? Because the Bible's not like a thing. It's a collection of things. It's a collection of books. Does that make sense? And, and so it's a collection. So the New Testament is a collection of all these guys who were eyewitnesses to the life and times of Jesus and the apostles. Does that make sense? So James is the younger brother, half-brother, I guess. He's not miracle-born. Uh, younger brother of Jesus. And after the resurrection, it says that he sees Jesus with his own eyes. And then he's like, I'm in. Because he wasn't in before. Because, <laughs> you know, if your family claiming to be God, you'd think they're weird too. So... But when you see him rise from the dead, that's convincing. And so James becomes a Jesus follower, full-blown, ends up being stoned to death because he won't relinquish what he said that he saw. And so James gets up and writes this book, kind of sermon-style book of the Bible. Well, hundreds of years later, they see these collection of books, and certain people start looking at what James said, and they compare it to what Paul said, and they think there's a contradiction. And so some people literally are like, hey... You know that whole collection that we call the canonization of the books of the Bible? We need to take James and throw it out. And here's why. It's because James is trying to get us back into like working for Jesus so that we could be saved. And get, the only way you can get to heaven is if you work and do enough things. And they had this debate and this controversy over that. Let me tell you, there's no controversy whatsoever we're going to see here. Let's keep reading here. So the Bible says, James says, there you go. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes. And daily food. If one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. That's almost like a slap in the face, isn't it? Oh, you're hurting? Oh, good luck with that. But if you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so James, James comes down and says, what good is it? Verse 17, in the same way, meaning this is a parallel, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Yeah, dead. So this is what we get into the controversy is, is, well, but Paul said this. And now James seems to be saying that you have to work because if you don't work, it's not real. It's dead. And, and, and really it's not. Here's, let, me, let me help you out real quick here. What the apostle Paul was dealing with when he made statements like you can only be saved by grace through faith is he was dealing with a different issue. What Paul was dealing with, let's say in the book of Galatians, is they had these guys, they were called Judaizers. Hence the, the, like, the old Jewish laws, right? What they did was, is they came into the Christian church, and they told all these new Gentile, non-Jewish believers, that if you want to be a Christian, you still have to keep all those Old Testament laws. Like, you've got to be circumcised. Which basically turned the church into a women-only thing, Right? Men's ministry was, was non-existent back then. Why? 
Because these Judaizers had come in and said, you've got to keep and fulfill all these Old Testament rules and laws and things. And, and of course, one of them being circumcision. Because like, here's the deal. All the Jewish guys got circumcised on the eighth day and they don't remember anything. And so, yeah, now you're 40. You're like, I got to do what? So no, thank you. Um, can you imagine what membership class was like? You know what I mean? Like, okay, guys, get the, you know, anyway. Um, they're like, no, 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 no. And so Paul is addressing that and he's saying, no, it is not you fulfilling all the Old Testament requirements. It, none of that matters for you to become a Jesus follower. And so what he was addressing was legalism. What James is addressing is laziness. Does that make sense? Two totally different things. James isn't addressing people who get caught up in having to fulfill all the requirements of the law. He's just saying, hey, look, don't, don't be lazy out there. And so what James is saying is this. It's not about you doing all the requirements. Actually, it's about your faith being put on display with acts of love. That's what he's really getting to. What, what he goes on to say is this, and we'll see it in just a second here, is that Paul is focusing on the root of salvation. And the root of salvation is faith. But the fruit of salvation is action. And I'll show you what I mean. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Paul said. Now, again, two different guys giving their commentary on and how to live this life. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. Meaning it's not because of all your works. Actually, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. But we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Some good works. So here's, here's what he's saying, like actually not even just to do it, but like God's been setting you up forever to do something. And you got to keep that order. You are saved, everybody say, by grace, through faith, for good works. That's how it works. Now, if you put the works over here in the first spot, you're going to get messed up. No, you're saved by the goodness of God through faith. But don't get it twisted. You can't separate what God has done in you from the rest of your life. Does that make sense? Like you need to know that living faith, real faith, genuine faith. We've gotten all this done to say this one big thing. Living faith, real faith requires action. It takes something like there should be a reflection. Meaning if you live a Christian life. But there's nothing in your life that would ever, I'll give you this, this is the worst case example. Every once in a while, I'll be in public and I'll be with somebody and then I'll run into somebody else and they know each other. And then this is what they'll, they'll, they'll do, like, oh, you, you go to church? Man, I had no idea. Like, that's not what you want as your testimony. Does that make sense? You're a Christian? Oh, man, I had no idea. Meaning like, your life had no reflection whatsoever. Now, if you're just an acquaintance, that, that can sometimes happen because you don't know each other. But people that know each other, there should be something in your life that reflects the fact that you are with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So th this is how Calvin put it, and he just put it in a really cool way. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Are you getting it so far? So, so then James goes on a rant. It gets worse, okay? He goes in and starts obliterating common misconceptions about what faith is. Are you ready? The first one that he does is this. He basically says in this opening set of verses that living faith is not. Everybody say not. Living, you were good on that one. Living faith is not just something that you say. Isn't that how he opened the whole thing? Hey, if anybody claims, didn't mean there were. You said if you claim. Like, claiming something doesn't do anything, does it? Like claiming, like I could claim 
to be a Ph.D. It's not true. I could claim to have a lush, full growing head of hair. It's not true. Okay, I could claim to be a lot of things, but what I claim doesn't really matter in life. Does that make sense? So like for, for people to say, well, hey, I'm a because, you know, like if you take a poll and it's dwindling right now, but if you take a poll in America and ask how many people to check a box saying what they are, a lot of people will check the box and claim to be a Christian. But it doesn't mean that it is any representation of what their life actually looks like. And so it's a claim. It's just something they throw out there. And here's what you need to know about this whole thing about claiming to be a Christian. Jesus did not come to make Christians. Did you know that? Jesus didn't come to make Christians. Jesus never utters the word Christians. The word Christian didn't come around until a couple decades after Jesus left planet Earth. So Jesus didn't come to make Christians. Do you know when he came? He came to make disciples. And a disciple was this. It was a somebody who followed in the ways of their teacher. They wanted to look like them, smell like them, and do everything in life like them. And he goes, that's what I want to make in life. And so Jesus never utters the word Christians. Like, hey, everybody, I want you to check a box one day and make a claim. No, 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 no. He goes, no, no, I want you to look like me. I want you to talk like me. I want you to act like me. I want you to follow in all my ways. I don't want you to become a claimer of something. I want you to live like something. That is what captures the attention of the world. That right there is probably why the first generation of Christians took over the entire known world. How did they pull that off? Because they were big on doing good deeds and actions and acts of love. And they just put it on full display. It was never a claim that they made. And so it wasn't something they were trying to do just purely with a claim. As a matter of fact, I was listening to an interview with a very prominent atheist guy, passed away recently, named Christopher Hitchens. And he's given the debate and and the argument and he gets into it. And his whole essence is this. This is the, the, the quote that stuck out to me. And he said this. He goes, if I can just claim to have faith in God and that gets me in, then I'm quite skeptical of your God. And he was making this bogus argument. Nobody makes that argument. Nobody in the entire New Testament says, hey, if you'll just sign up, if you'll check a box, if you'll just make some type of claim that you acknowledge something or believe in something, that that's good enough. Nobody does that. The Apostle Paul says you were created for good works, that, that faith without loving acts of kindness, your faith is dead. It's useless. So nobody ever in the Bible says that, hey, if you'll just say a prayer one time. I remember I had a conversation with my buddy Brian. Uh, we were uh, in middle school, and I was talking to him, and we were about to go do something dangerous. Go back to middle school, okay? Revert back in your mind where you did dumb things, right? And we knew that the dumb thing that we were about to do was life-threatening dumb, right? It was dangerous. And this is what he says to me. He's so innocent. Uh, He said, Todd, before we do this, I need to ask you a question. I'm like, okay. He goes, have you been baptized yet? And I said, no. He goes, well, I got baptized when I was a kid. So if we die right now, I'll go to heaven and you won't. Now, that is, is a kid and a kid's perspective problem is i know a lot of adults that have a similar perspective they might not say it quite so innocently but they thought well oh, i well i go to church or i this or i this and they, at some point you maybe have made a claim or your parents made a claim claims don't mean jack that's what james says i'm just i'm just a, i'm just a, i'm just a messenger here don't don't shoot the messenger so living faith is not just something that you say actually let's keep going here he goes on to say living faith is not acknowledging the existence of something you've had this before right hey do you 
Are you a Christian? I believe in God. I'll prove it to you. Watch what he says here. It's amazing. He says, but some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He just continues the idea that faith without action is dead. You believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even demons believe that. Meaning like, I didn't say this. I told you James was blunt and in your face. So please do not email me, okay? What he says is this, is if you have a belief that is simply the acknowledgement of the existence of God, good for you, but that just puts you on par with demons. That's not encouraging or nice, is it? I would never say that to you. I am so much kinder than James is. But he says this. It's unbelievable. And so what he says is this. is like not only is it that you don't make a claim. He goes, it's not just the belief in the existence of a thing. Does that make sense? Like you can't just say, well, I, well, I believe in God. But that's not faith. That's the acknowledgement of the existence of something. Let me give you a deeper understanding. So, so James is a, is a Hebrew kid. He's a Jewish kid. And a Jewish understanding of faith is very different. We mostly get our idea of faith from more Greek philosophy, not Jewish scripture. Does that make sense? Now, I'll prove it to you. Because we believe in, like, well, do you have faith in? You have the belief, the acknowledgement, and the existence of a thing. That's not faith to a Jewish kid. They used to use a word in the Hebrew language called imunah. Everybody say imunah. It's a Hebrew word, so you got to say it a little weird, okay? Yeah, you'd put a little on the end if you really wanted to be super Jewish. Imunah. And, and what that word literally mean was faith and faithfulness, meaning that you couldn't have faith without faithfulness, that the two were mutually exclusive in the way that you would present them. Does that make sense? So Greek philosophy is the belief in the existence of a thing. Hebrew understanding is this. It's the faithfulness to a thing. Does that make sense now? You see the difference? And when you grew up thinking like, well, faith is the existence of something. And I, be- well, I believe in the existence of God. Look, I-, I really am glad. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I want you to believe in the existence of God. You got to get somewhere first, right? But I want you to go beyond that because James is wrecking your current theology. That belief in the existence of something is not what Jesus was talking about. Remember, he didn't come to make Christians that made a claim. And he didn't come to just say, hey, look, I want you to hopefully think that I'm real one day. He's like, no, I want your devotion and I want your faithfulness. That's let's keep going here. So living faith is not acknowledging the existence of something. Let's keep going here. Living faith is not something that you feel. The Bible says this. It says that even the demons believe and then they they shudder. The, the word that, that James used there when he says shudder, it literally means to bristle. Like, have you ever had the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? You ever had that creeped out feeling? Do spiders do that to you? Snakes do that to you? You're in the home alone and you think there was a ghost? And bling! Okay, there's no ghost. Anyway, I set some of y'all free right there. No ghost. Um, So what he's saying is this, is not only do they make a mental acknowledgement of something, but they actually feel something. So like, there's actually fear. There's, because here's the problem I don't want you to get into. There's two pitfalls that you could go into here. Number one is this, is I don't want you to go to church, get super inspired, pumped up, motivated. The speaker was super inspirational. I'm sorry that's not me today. I feel like I'm the bearer of blunt news. And, but, but you get all revved up and you say, yes, that's what I want. Yes, that's what I And you get this emotional high and then you go out and nothing in your life changes. 
That's what James is wanting you to avoid. Like, don't, don't fall into the trap of getting emotionally worked up alone and then not having nothing else to show for it. The other thing that I see that people fall into is this, is let's be honest. Avoiding hell is a good motivation, right? Like, like if I get up here and I just like, okay, this is what heaven looks like and this is what hell looks like. And we were like, let's take a poll real quick here. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody, nobody's down with that. And so sometimes we, I've seen this so many times where like they'll have these events set up that you go to on Halloween. They're Christian events and God bless them. They have great motivation. But then you go and you walk through the line and then there's like a, a, a kid and then there's a car accident and then there's blood and then they take the kid to hell and they just freak out. Has anybody ever been to that before? Oh my God, don't go. Anyway, <laughs> y'all never seen this before? Okay, here you go. So I'm not alone. I'm not making stuff up here, okay? And so, yeah, and so what they do is they literally just try to scare the hell out of you. Like literally, like we just want you to be so afraid of hell that you just say yes to God. Here's the problem with that. That doesn't work. Like avoiding hell is, is, don't get me wrong, a logical idea. And I want you to do that at all costs. But that's not faith in God. It's not a feeling. It's not something we're just trying to avoid something bad in our life. So the alternative is, well, I guess I'll just say yes to Jesus. Now we go back into making claims. Now we go back into just acknowledging the existence of something. James is saying that faith is so much more radical than that. And I'll just simplify it by this. Not only is it not something you say, it's not something that you acknowledge. It's not something you feel. Living faith is something that you do. It's, it's got to be something that you do. It's put on display in your life. It's just something that, that flows out of who you are. It's kind of represented by your values, by your actions, by your consistency, by your sacrifices. It's put on full display. Jimmy Carter made a change in his life. He went on to build, you know, Habitat for Humanity. And, and he was asked what the turning point in his life was. He said, a Christian came to me and they asked me the most penetrating question. And it, it shook me to my core. He said this. He said, they asked me the question is that if you were ever put on trial for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? They said it was then and there in that moment that I realized that I was claiming something but wasn't living something. If, if you were put on trial... God forbid the zombie apocalypse happen and all hell breaks loose in the world and all, all things go chaos and, and, and you're put on trial for being a Christian. They're trying to execute. Would there even be enough evidence? Say, so, yeah, this guy's a Christian. He's got to go. What, what does that look like in your life? Let's, let's look at this real quick here. James chapter 2 verse 20. You foolish person, meaning this is bad ways of thinking. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Useless, dead Basically, it's, it's this. It's, it's the word that means it's like a bank account drawing no interest. You got it. Nothing in there. So he goes, was not our father Abraham? So then he goes into using two illustrations here. The first one is Abraham. Are you ready? He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And then the scripture was fulfilled saying that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friends. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and, and not by this faith alone. Again, going back to the idea that faith must have something that follows it. And he points to Abraham and he says, you remember the story of Abraham? I mean, the guy was, was asked to take his son up to a mountain and put him on an altar and to sacrifice him to see if he would. And, and he goes, it was credited to him 
as righteousness goes back to that whole idea of a banking account, the, the idea that it's counted to him. It's a financial term, meaning to put into someone's account. So he's saying this, that your faith was so put on display and so had so much action following it that your account is full. Because you've done something with the faith that you claim, that you acknowledge the existence and you felt something. But you took it beyond that and you begin to live out something radically different. Second illustration. He goes on, he goes, in the same way, which you're going to find is kind of interesting here. You've got to find out what in the same way means here. Because you're going to see two totally different people. In the same way was not even Rahab. Okay, everybody say Abraham. Everybody say Rahab. I don't know, you're going to see in the same way means. Because at first glance you're like, there's in no way. Okay, Abraham was a dude. Rahab was a girl. Okay, not, not the same there. Um, Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Okay, that, that's not the same. Um, Abraham was the father of our faith and called a patriarch. Rahab was a prostitute. Okay, that's not the same. Um, Abraham was a big deal, right? Like, like had chapter after chapter after chapter written on Abraham. Rahab, not, not a big deal. Like, just a few verses. That, that's it. And so you see this contrast of two radically different people. But James lumps them into the same category because on the surface they're not the same. But he goes, in the same way, listen to this, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Basically, the story is simple. When the Jews came into the promised land, God was giving them. God was going to drive out basically the most wicked people on the earth. These people, I won't even get into it because there are children here. <laughs> they did such awful, heinous things that I can't repeat in church. Let's just say that. Everything, I can't even get to it. We'll just leave it alone. I can't even try to describe it. That's how, that's how wicked these people were. And so God eventually, after hundreds of years of, of, of trying to wait and let them repent, God eventually judges these people. And he uses Israel to do it. And so he basically says, hey, you're going to take over this land. This is your land to begin with. And you're going to drive these people out. Now they can leave or you're going to drive them out. But one, one of the two is going to happen. And so they came into all these different cities that were taking over the land of Canaan. And one of them was called Jericho. And this is the story that if you grew up going to church, this is where, you know, they marched around seven days and then on the seventh day they marched around seven times on the seventh day and then they all shout it and then uh, you know the walls come crumbling down this kind of crazy story wild story miraculous story happens right but here's the here's the detail behind the story is that they sent spies to go check out the city first and rahab who is living in the city as a prostitute she basically helps these guys out and she says some amazing things she goes i know your god is real and i know he's come and i know this is your land and i'm, I'm down so did she feel something yes did she acknowledge the existence of something? Yes. Did she claim something? Yes. But then she did something. Yes. And she's like, I'm in. I'm in. And what, the amazing story is like how it unfolds because the spies tell her, look, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you safe then. Because that's what she said. Will you, will you keep my family safe? And they said this. They said, put a red scarlet rope outside of your window and we'll know that that's yours. And it's a picture of the Passover. What happened just, just years ago at the Passover is they'd put blood outside on their doorpost and because of that they were saved. Does that make sense? And so, so she, Rahab becomes the new, the new version. It's the new exit. It's the new Passover with a Gentile person. It's this amazing story. And here's what's crazier. Rahab gets saved and then the Bible says a few verses later that they adopt her into the family of Israel. Like she becomes totally a part of their deal and she marries a guy. She totally just gets in with what they're doing. And then this is the crazier part. She shows up in the book of Matthew. 
You know the story or the, the part of the Bible where like so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot, and you just skip that part because it's just a bunch of people with weird names. And so I'm okay if you skip that, okay? But there is, sometimes there's some really cool stuff hidden in there. And what's hidden in Matthew is this, is that when you go down the lineage of Jesus, you find and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and then all of a sudden what you find is this, is that in the lineage of Jesus, you find this girl, a prostitute, a Gentile, Named Rahab. She ends up marrying a guy. I can't remember his name now. It starts with an S. They have a kid named Boaz. Boaz marries another Gentile. She's a Moabite woman named Ruth. Which is where you get the book of Ruth from. And then they have a kid. And then that kid has. Basically it's the great grandfather of King David. Where Jesus comes from. The lineage of David. So here's this incredible story of redemption, this credible story of somebody putting their faith on display, living out their faith. It's not a, just, listen to me. You're going to feel something, and you need to acknowledge the existence of something. And, and, and don't get me wrong. You're going to make a claim, but I want it all to be backed up because living faith is not just those things. Living faith is something that you do. It's got to be put on full display. Last verse of the Bible here that, that we'll cover today is this. Is as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without action is dead. It's the same. You cannot get it twisted. And so what did I tell you about this sermon series? I told you that at times James would be blunt. At times he would be in your face. At times he would be coach, not therapist. At times he would be challenging. Up in your grill. And this is one of those moments where he's challenging it was not an easy sermon today that James throws down on us. It was like, no, 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 challenge everything that you think currently right now and make sure that you don't have dead faith or useless faith or weak faith or knockoff faith or counterfeit faith, but that you got the real deal. That you have living and genuine and authentic faith. And all faith that's real, it has action to back it up. Something is inside of you compelling you to do something beyond just acknowledging the existence of God. So much more than that. And when you live like that, all of a sudden, let me tell you this. Some of the reason why you think Christianity is so boring is because you have not truly experienced Christianity. It's because you're living on the peripheral. You're living on the outside where you had a feeling one day and you made a claim, but nothing else happened. I'm telling you that when you start living out the ways of God and living for Jesus, God will take you to crazy places. God will make life more of an adventure. God will do great things in you and through you and satisfy every need of your soul. But that only happens when you actually get up. Out of the seat and begin to act and do something. Last, last little thought in this. Back in the 1800s, there was a French tightrope walker. His name was George Blondin. Has anybody ever heard of this guy before? He was this famous tightrope walker. And he was from France, but he came over because he wanted to cross over Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he was amazing. And so he, sure enough, they, they strung a line across and there were people on both the Canadian and the American side rooting them on. I mean, who wouldn't want to go see that, right? You remember, this is the 1800s. There's no safety nets, okay? There's no locking mechanisms. He had no safety mechanisms whatsoever. So if nothing more, it'd be crazy just to see a guy, you know, maybe fall. And so, let's be honest, that would be crazy. Um, so sure enough, he walks the tightrope and he makes it all the way through. And then he goes, you know what, how many of you want to see me do it again? And they're like, yeah! And so he goes, I'll do it again. And he goes back. And he's feeling so high and full of life and energy and faith in himself. And he goes, how many of y'all think I can do it blindfolded? And they all say, yeah! He blindfolds himself. He clears. This guy was incredible. This guy, there's pictures. It's unbelievable what this guy could do. Then he says, how many of y'all think I could do it while carrying a wheelbarrow full of dirt? And they're all like, Yeah! So he does it. 
It's amazing what this guy does. And then finally he says this, how many of you guys think I could do it while carrying somebody on my back? And they all say, yeah. And he goes, awesome. I need a volunteer. Remember, the, the, the Hebrew understanding is, is not necessarily just faith for something or faith, the belief in something. It was the belief that something. Interestingly enough, no one volunteered. So his manager did. And his manager volunteered. And sure enough, he jumped right on George's back and they walked all the way across to safety. It's incredible. That's faith. Faith is not sitting back saying, yeah, I believe in God. James is like, hey, look, demons believe in God. That ain't helping you out. Like demons are not atheists. Demons are not agnostics. They're not. They totally believe in God. And they're totally afraid. They're totally in fear of the judgment that might come to them for their crazy, wild rebellion. But, but that, so, so I want you to go so far beyond that. I want you to have a faith that's alive, that's active, that's doing something. I want it to so radically change who you are from the inside out that it begins to change your mind. It begins to change some of your behaviors. It begins to change some of your values. It absolutely changes how you treat other people. It changes your decision making. It changes your, your morality. It changes everything. Why? How could God be so in my life and me living for him and there not be some type of outside result and change? And that's what God wants you to experience. I want everybody in here to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to give you an opportunity to maybe make a change in your life. I think this is the type of message where, where some of you maybe, maybe see it now in a different way than you've ever seen it before. And what I want you to know is, is that God's grace and love towards you is so amazing you'll never even understand it. You, you can't even comprehend how much God loves you. you. You couldn't even wrap your mind around it. And God is so in love with you and God is so for you. And so God has invited you into this relationship but now he's wanting you to walk with him. Remember, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, that you would walk with God by faith. Meaning that, okay, I'm with God, but now I need to walk that out. That should look like something. And if you're in here today and you say, Todd, I think I need a new definition of faith and I need to start living for God in a way that I never have before. If that's you today, I want you to slip your hand up in the air. That's me. I need to go beyond making a claim. I need to go beyond an acknowledgement of the existence of God. I mean, that's good and all. I need to go beyond just being scared. I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. I want to have a faith that is living, that is genuine. Slip your hand up in the air. Slip your hand up high. Amen. For some of you, you've maybe never prayed this prayer of faith, this prayer that says, God, I need you in my life. And so I want to give us all that opportunity today. And so for those of you who raised your hand, whether this is your first time or whether this is a, the, you know, just a, a shift that you need to make in your life, let's pray this prayer together. Can we pray it out loud? Everybody repeat after me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I need you. I'm lost without you. I believe that you lived, that you died, that you rose again. I ask that you forgive me of all my sins and help me to know you. Help me to walk with you as you show me how. Help my faith to be real, to be authentic. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are in us and through us, God. We thank you for your your love towards us, God. I pray that everyone in here, God, would walk out of this room with an active faith, God. We are on the lookout, God, for how we can put our faith on display in how we treat other people, in the decisions that we make, God. 
I pray that you would radically change us, God, from the inside out. Father, that is our prayer today. And it is in your son Jesus' holy name that we pray. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?